when pandemic first hit, I missed getting to watch the work of all these people who do our shows, the wonderful folks who come through. Good night, bad night. I just enjoy watching the work of talented people. That's the joy of doing it. Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast. My name is Eric Vetter, and that voice you heard up front, that was Eric Vetter. What? Has he finally lost his mind? He's talking to himself. He can't get anybody else to do it. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell? Well, here's the deal. There's a little story on this. If you're listening to this when this is released, it's February 1st, and February is very important to No Name. At the end of the month marks our 29th anniversary of doing shows. And February of 2023 is kind of a big deal to us, too, because it is our return to regular in-person shows for the first time since Friday the 13th, March 2020. So we'll be returning to regular shows at Word Up Bookshop, and later this spring we'll be returning to QED in Astoria, and we got other good stuff coming up, and we actually have some amazing guests lined up, but for today you got to deal with me. No, I won't be talking to myself. I'll get back to that in a minute. I want to talk to you about something. I haven't whined about my Google Assistant in a while. You know, I'm still getting used to the role of being a blind guy. And I I do highly resent how much I have to rely on my Google Assistant on my phone to get a lot of things done. It's frequently helpful and just as frequently creates bigger problems that can't be solved and I still have to ask for assistance elsewhere anyway. One nice thing happened a few months ago. The Google Assistant alerted me that if I wanted, every day I could simply say to it, good morning, and it would then give me the time, the weather, and assorted news updates from assorted sources. One thing that's made me nuts is not being able to watch the news. I mean, I can listen to it, but, you know, I like scanning stuff online, and yes, I still liked picking up a newspaper now and then and all of that, and I can't do that now. And I thought, this is great, and it started out okay. I would say, hey, Google, do that little pause you got to do, and then I would say, good morning, and it would say in a chirpy voice, hello, no name. The time is 6.48 a.m., and it would give me the weather, and then it would say, have a good day. Here are today's news headlines. And then, uh, you know, get like 15, 20 minutes of of news headlines from various sources, from Reuters, from the Today Show, from CNN, from Fox News, and a number of other sources, including, I think, a German one. Now, a month or two into doing this as part of my daily routine, something new emerged. And I'm not sure how long this has been going on. I, I didn't take note of it. But it no longer says, hello, no name. Now it says, Hi, something other than my name. And my first thought was the phone is breaking down. I need to get ready to get a new phone or, you know, it's bungled its lines. It didn't memorize the sky. You know, what the hell is this? But it went on, did its normal thing, gave me the time, gave me the weather. And then this happened. It said, why was the student's report card wet? Because his grades had fallen below sea level. It then gave a rim shot and a clown horn sound. And while my jaws kind of dropped open, saying, what the hell is this? And it says, have a good day. Here are today's news headlines. And I got to tell you, when your phone starts telling you jokes like that, kind of hard to have a good day. And it certainly doesn't prepare you to hear the headlines of all the outrageous shit that's going on in the world. 
I wondered, is this just some weird little quirk it throws in there? No, now every morning it tells me these sorts of jokes. Why did the snowman lose his temper when the sun came out? He had a total meltdown. Honk, honk. It occurred to me, you know, because I'm looking for an explanation for this. I have never requested humor from my phone, and it occurred to me. We are returning to live shows. I think my phone's trying to hit me up for a spot. I'm concerned. If I should ever disappear, please do contact the authorities and try to check on the whereabouts of my phone. Let's talk about today's show. In light of our 29th anniversary, it occurred to me that, you know, I've done some stuff that's as worthy as many of our guests. And so what we did, no, I'm not talking to myself. My ego has not gotten that out of control. But uh, a longtime friend of no names, Mike Scroy. And Mike Scroy is, is a funny guy in his own right. And he, he's done a lot of interesting things. He used to work for a comedy website. And he, he's done funny sports videos. And he's just a, a really cool guy. And I met him as we were preparing for our 20th anniversary show many years ago. We were getting ready to do a big, big deal show at the United Palace uptown, the 3,000-plus-seat, 85-year-old movie theater that we packed with well over 150 people. It's the only time in all the years of No Name that I ever got hit with a blitz of requests for interviews, and one of them came from Mike Scroy. He was interviewing us for the now-defunct comedy website he worked for. We loved his work, and we've actually incorporated him in past anniversary shows to just talk with some of our guests, engage in some stories of the old days. We did an anniversary show during lockdown via Zoom. He hosted that for us and just, you know, was very engaging. He's a great guy. So I asked him if he would let me be a guest on my own show, and we just talked about the old days. So that's really all you need to know about that. I have not completely lost my mind yet. I hope you all will stick around. I had fun talking with him. I hope you'll have fun listening. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But first... Escape to Green Bay. That's right, the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast at a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Stieber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay.
Eric, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah, wait, I have to read your shirt. Sided people keep making the same hack joke that I don't know what my shirt says. <laughs> there was a Christmas present yeah. from my dear friend, wonderful storyteller, Jeff Rose. Yeah. He actually you know, had it custom made. Okay. And I, I like wearing it periodically. It's funny, I, I had it on the other day, and it, you know, it was one of those days where I was uh, rushing to get out the house, and I just, it, uh, this is clean. All right, put it on. And I, I forgot yeah. that this is the shirt that I was wearing. I didn't. I, yeah. It was a conscious choice. Okay. But I totally forgot. And later on, I'm with some friends, and one friend yeah. starts making jokes that I didn't mm -hmm. understand. She was commenting on the shirt. And like, right. oh, oh. She's like, oh, he really doesn't know what it says. <laughs> yes, I did. I didn't realize what you were doing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I was waiting for you to get back to me to set this up. And I hit a point where I said, I wonder if he saw my text. And then I realized... <laughs> He can't see my text. Oh, so. wait, but you know I can. But, that's, but you that's can. The, that's yes. one of the few things I can do. I've ranted about it on yeah. the podcast a few times. I'm at a point where I'm pretty reliant on yeah. my Google Assistant, or as I usually refer to it, my right. fucking idiot asshole Google Assistant. <laughs> but here's the thing. It does read my text. It yeah. sends my text. And I can use it to call my voicemail and get messages and make phone calls. But it's like that really moronic office assistant that you yes. can't fire because it's the boss's nephew. <laughs> That's really kind of what it's like. And yes. I'm reliant on it when I'm not screaming at it. My neighbors must be concerned right. about the nut that lives next door because they'll just hear this very creative stream of obscenities yeah. is when yeah. I've spent 35 minutes trying to get it to send a five-word text. Listen, I have the iPhone and I use the voice-to-text button all the time and it always gets stuff wrong. It doesn't like New York accents very well. Whatever whatever <laughs> accent I have at this point in my life, every time I say and, it puts in and I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm not a Ray Romano. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not a, you know, a Columbo. So I don't know. It picks up things in the best it can do. Which yeah. is not always very good. Very, but the technology is amazing. I mean, just think about people who didn't have this before, and, and now we have it, and it, it, <laughs> got, it has to make things easier, you know, for everybody. You know, <laughs> That's sort what I of. keep hearing. It's supposed to, right? It's <laughs> I, I got I got to get this stuff off my chest now. Because Do it. This, it's is, this, <laughs> this is therapy. My apologies to listeners. This was something I was dealing with today. Yeah. Access a ride. Access a ride, which Google Assistant always makes accessorize. Now, I got to tell you, I knew about Accessoride before I needed it. 25 years ago, my mom used it more recently. A friend of mine who was battling cancer used it. I know about Accessoride. And I resisted using it as long as I could. You know, there are days I'd rather not go anywhere than to use them. I've been using them sporadically for less than a year, probably about eight months. In that time, I have had cars go to the wrong address, uh, call me and say, where are you? I say, I'm here, where are you? And they say where they are, right. and it's six blocks away. <laughs> oh, no. And then they said, all right, no worries, yeah. I'll come to you. And then they come yeah. to me, and then they call and say, where are you? I'm still here, where are you? <laughs> and they're like across the street. That was my first experience, uh, by the way. Actually, today one showed up, I think it was something like an hour and a quarter early. An uh, hour and a quarter early? I know it was almost two hours early when I got a text saying it was 45 minutes away. Again, Fuck you. This is going to be the episode where we set the record for me saying fuck you. <laughs>
So we've got that going on. There was another time they were like about 25 minutes late and I called to find out where they were. They were looking for me in another borough yeah. instead of coming to 164th Street between St. Nicholas and Amsterdam. And, you know, right. they require you to give an exact address plus cross street. So all of that information on both ends. They were not looking for me at 164th Street between St. Nicholas and Amsterdam. They were looking for me at the Grand Concourse in the Bronx. Oh, no. There was another time where I got a message that the ride would be there in zero minutes. I got that message 45 minutes before it was supposed to be there. Right. I did check outside. There was no car there. How would I know? Right. I have ways. <laughs> and a friend was meeting me. He was going yeah. along, you know, and he got there early. Mm-hmm. And we're waiting, we're waiting. And it's about 15 minutes before the scheduled pickup, but it's already a half hour after it said it was going to be there. Right, right. So we decided to call the driver and find out what the deal was. Sure. And he said, I'll be there. I was arrested, but the police just let me go. I'll be there in like 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> and I looked at my friend. I said, dude, do you still want to do this? I mean, do you even <laughs> want to wait for this guy? And he's like, eh, why not? And then the guy nice, shows yeah. up and he's not listening to his GPS. He, like, goes past where it said to turn, and my buddy talked him all the way through the entire trip, even though the GPS was saying the correct things, but he, he wasn't following. Maybe he was shaken up after being arrested. I, I, this is a city-run program? or is This it a, is a city-run program. Well, that explains everything. It's run by MTA. Uh, yeah. That's all I got to say. Yeah. But one more. Then we could actually have a conversation like civil people. I promise. That's okay. It's your but show. Here's the thing. <laughs> As Don Rickles used to say, do what you want. It's your show. <laughs> I haven't watched a lot of Don Rickles. Uh, uh, you see, those are pretty good Rickles, actually. Yeah. But here's the other thing. Yeah. I think the best story of Accessoride mm-hmm. is either the guy getting arrested mm-hmm. or yeah. there was another time I was going from West 14th Street to West 207th Street. Now, I want to be very clear. I got to West 207th Street safely and securely mm-hmm. after he made a wrong turn and took us to New Jersey. Went over the GW Bridge and said, oh, we're going to New Jersey. I said, Yes. No, you're going to New Jersey and we're just along for the ride. (laughs) So, of course, he can't get off the bridge. So we went over to New Jersey and he came back. I don't even know. Like, Well, I'm happy to be here. We haven't seen each other in person probably, what, two years because of COVID? It had to be prior to March of 2020 because Mm -hmm. our last show before pandemic Mm -hmm. was Friday the 13th. Was March it? of 2020. Oh my God, yeah. I recall being in the city. I was coming up pretty regularly to do open mics and so forth in the city. I remember being at uh, Climate Lounge, and there was an open mic downstairs, and I was upstairs by the bar. I think it had just wrapped, and on the news, they were saying that the NHL has just shut down. People don't remember. It was going on, but not everything had shut down yet. It hadn't reached its peak. And this was like February of 2020. And they said the NHL shut down. And then the guy, I think he was on the Utah Jazz, he he touched all the microphones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The NBA shut down the next day. And everybody was like, this is real. Like, I thought, like, oh, this would be gone in a month. It's like bird flu. You always hear about it. Swine flu. And it's like, no, this is the real deal. It really killed all the momentum I had stand-up-wise. I tried to do the online mics and stuff, and it just wasn't... Because I had just gotten into doing more crowd work. I needed the live audience. Oh, jeez. But coming to your shows, No Name has been around for 29 years. Yeah, 29 years. In some form or another, right? Yeah. And it gets a very exclusive list of regulars and comics who have now become even bigger, like Charles McBee. 
Yeah. Forgive me for interrupting, yeah. but no. it, we actually are returning to live in-person shows on February 7th at Word Up Bookshop. The reason I'm interrupting for the plug right now is we got confirmation that Charles McBee is actually going to be on the bill that night. Uh, that's February 7th, yeah. 7 p.m. at Word Up Community Bookshop in Washington Heights on the corner of 165th Street yep. and Amsterdam Avenue. It was always fun, and it's because it's coming back, it's still fun to do these shows because we know from stand-up how hard it could be, how rough it could be. But the show you've been doing has always been a nice little oasis in the comedy world where people are kind of happy to be there, you know, (laughs) and kind of happy to see each other. You know, Leanne Lord does it all the time. Liz Mealy, who you've had on. Uh, Miles Blue Spruce is always playing guitar. Um, The plan, by the way, is that he will be a a music guest on February 7th. Great. Your show has had a variety of people, uh, magicians, I can recall helping a magician on stage. I had to pull a nail out of his nose. Oh, I remember that guy. Right, yeah, which, you know, it was kind of covered in snot, which was interesting. <laughs> it's a good place to just try out material. Vicky Sue Cooperman will come there. Uh, Rhonda Hanson will come there. I'm glad it's coming back. And then you also were doing shows at Otto's. We're in conversation with okay. Otto's. We really, really want to return there. We would love to go back there because then we can break out the band and do the full thing that we do. First show me. I ever did that I got a rim shot, which was... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that really oh, yeah, happened? I story about that. We, we yeah. uh, the band... It actually wasn't a no-name show proper. Uh, you know right. Liam McEnany? Sounds familiar. I don't think yeah, I know Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He, he's a great comic. He's on the, the West Coast nowadays. Okay. Liam McEnany, when he had an album release party at the Bell House, he invited the band to open the show. And, of course, they stayed out there for the entire evening doing what they do at Otto's here. They play the acts on and off. And Hannibal Burris, which one of the guests, wound up being a running joke with him and our drummer, Alex D'Souza, and when he was yes. getting the rim shots or not getting the rim shots. <laughs> yeah. It was a really funny thing. It's yeah. weird, too, because some comics, when they realize that they've got the band behind them, mm-hmm. they're, like, begging for the rim shot. Right. And others look right. really pissed when they get the when rim they, shot. It throws so the rhythm off, yeah. I think Alex has actually developed a really good sense of when to do it and when not to do it. But it is funny because mm-hmm. sometimes the comics love it, but they're playing off the gag that they're really annoyed oh, you yeah. know yeah yeah it's it's, it's so we like she's to got a really good sense of yeah. that though it, it, it works and i like having that element i'm looking forward to it coming back because it'll give me some more opportunity to get back out you know we'd I, love to have you back thank we, you we, we yeah. always enjoy having you around man. yeah because also it gives you a chance to try other things that you wouldn't do in a regular stand-up show I came one time and I told not so much a stand-up bit, but more of a funny story about the history of my last name. And it's not, haha, super funny, but it was something like, I just, you know, I want to tell this on stage and talk about it. And I would even be interested in coming back and bringing somebody up and interviewing them on stage or something. I enjoy the crowd work. I enjoy the spontaneity. I was watching an interview with J.B. Smoove, Howard Stern, I believe. He goes up with no plan. He has his jokes in his head. He, he'll know where to go once he's up there. Uh, I was just mentioning Don Rickles the same way, just went up there. And it's so very daring, and it's something I want to try more, but I've always been kind of hesitant to like, well, where could I do that? But I think No Name would be a good spot just to try stuff, just experiment, and that's the beauty of the No Name show. Whatever we've done well or or not well, I think one thing we have done is we've created an environment where it's safe to play. You have no control over who shows up in the audience on any given night, but by and large, I think we've managed to cultivate a place where the audience understands they're a part of what's going on, and they receive it differently when they know that. And because it's in the bookstore, it has a very community feel. Some of the names of the people, let's go over some of the names who've been doing it since like day one, because I know we did the show at QED, 
and you had yeah, me do the we're panel We're returning there. to QED in the spring as well. Great. That's another great room uh, in Queens. But some of the names who've been there in the beginning who like did the QED show and we did the online show, the, the anniversary. So since this is the anniversary, who are some of the, the names who have been there at the beginning that are still involved? We kind of have two beginnings because we started out as a sketch comedy group in 94. And about not quite six years in, we morphed into the comedy variety show that we are now. I mark most of the things nowadays by when we changed into this current format. And with regards to that, there's a few very key figures. For me, one of them... Someone we hope to get as a guest on the show, Marilyn Torres. She's an amazing actress, and she's also a very funny comic. But she she was one of the regulars when we first switched to this format. It's legendary now in our little, tiny little circle. We did a midnight show at a little black box theater in a rundown building in the theater district. And we did like two test shows of the new format there. And the first one was pretty well attended. The second one, not as much so, but we said, let's give it a go. And we got a theater that allowed us to do stuff regularly there. So we were every other Saturday at midnight. And once we said, we're going to do this regularly... There was no audience at showtime. That was 11.30, I believe. You know, so we hung out. We delayed the start for a bit. And at 11.30, I went to the scheduled performance and said, look, no audience here. I say, let's give it another 15 minutes. If no one shows up, we can either go home or we can share with each other what we had planned to share with the audience. Right. And 15 minutes came and went. No one came. And everyone said, yeah, let's do it. Now, there were a couple of comics who said they didn't want to perform stand-up for no audience, but they would be happy to be an audience for whatever else. And like Marilyn Torres was doing a a character piece, and uh, she was really the loudest voice of, yeah, let's do this. That became our template. And what we found is that that's really where the spirit of playing and trying stuff out came from, was from the performers who were coming there And their eagerness, the woman I started No Name with, Dawn Owens, she's a college friend of mine, she was transitioning out of the show at that point, getting out of showbiz more or less. But we had always talked about all the talented people we knew who were struggling for stage time. They were beyond just a run-of-the-mill open mic person, but they weren't commanding money to get headlining stuff or whatever. And so we thought we'd provide that, and that's ultimately what happened because we were inviting folks like that. And they were like, fuck, no, we've got a space. Let's just do this. The only thing that I knew is that spirit, which it was personified by a lot of people, but really more than anyone, Marilyn Torres. And you can see it in her work. I mean, she's just so serious about her craft, and she's just like, if you can do it, do it, and the other stuff will figure itself out. To me, there's a number of people who are key, but to me, Marilyn Torres from that start... And Leanne Lord, in another way, I knew Leanne before then. I think we met each other right around the time she was first starting to do stand-up. She was the first person that I knew was earning her entire living at doing stand-up who I invited to do the show. And I was kind of nervous about that. And she said, yeah, and that gave me the courage to start inviting other folks You know, when you start to get really good people, and we already had really good people, if talented people come and they have a good experience, they invite other folks or suggest. What I found was happening a lot, and it was interesting to me because what I I started to do around that time when I was at shows, whether I was performing or whether I was just watching the show, if I saw people whose work I liked, I'd invite them to come down and play with us. And there was a dichotomy between men and women. 
the women I would ask, and they would say, oh, thanks, I'd love to come down or whatever. It is midnight show on a Saturday. But they would come and do great work. And, like, they might have an audience of two people, three people, two of them being homeless folks who came in from the cold because it was free. And, I mean, that literally (laughs) happened. That actually did happen. (laughs) Yeah. There was one guy, I, I used to worry about him because he would come in and he'd just go grab a seat and go to sleep until the show was over. I really thought about it because he wasn't disruptive. He wasn't smelly, you know, whatever. But he was clearly down and out. And it was like, fuck, if we're doing nothing else, we're providing a little shelter for somebody who ain't yeah. got nowhere to go. Yeah. My point, though, about the women comics is that even if that was their audience, almost without exception, they would be gracious, thank you so much. And they would frequently add, do you know so-and-so? She's my friend. She's really funny. You should invite her. If I didn't know the person that they were recommending, I would ask them, I said, so is it someone whose work you admire and or respect, or is it a person who you would book if you were being paid to book a show? And if the answer was yes to any of that, sure, we'll give them, and people didn't let me down. Whereas now when I ask guys, sometimes they do it, sometimes they wouldn't, but there was always, uh, who else is going to be on the bill? Do you get a lot of audience? Always. A million questions. So we would have shows that were often heavy with women in the lineup. Because a lot of open mics are straight white males. I'll show up there. It's boring after a while, you know? You want to hear something different. You want to hear different stories. I mean, like, I'll show up and it's like, oh, they don't want me here. That's what's interesting about comedy. How are you different than everybody else? Because there is a lot of pressure to think, oh, so-and-so is doing this and they're getting booked. Maybe that's how I should approach this. Yeah. During the pandemic, or no, I'm sorry, before the pandemic, Gary Goleman put out a tip for every day in the year. And I know a big thing for him was how different are you? It's not so much, are you the funniest person in the room? Are you the most unique, different person in the room? Not that the funny people don't get remembered, but the different people get remembered. And your show provides so many different avenues of different types of things. People have a chance to kind of stand out like, oh, that was different. I've never seen that. That's what I hope happens, you know, obviously. Actually, honestly, some of the moments that I enjoy the most, I'll bring up a comic. It might be a person of color who expresses how excited they were at following a person of color as opposed to being the one on the bill. (laughs) I've gotten that from people of color. I've gotten that from women as well. It's not so much I book my shows with an eye towards the people whose work I enjoy or I think is good. But I really like it when that's part of the mix, too. I don't base my booking on that. But if I have the opportunity to make that part of it, I do. I have to tell you, there was kind of an interesting transition for us at one point. While we were still doing the midnight show, talking about the disparity of reactions from the guys and the women, I did have the experience on more than one occasion the, the guys who did say, yeah, I'll do that show, would show up and they're like, hey, man, where'd you get all the girls? And it's like, how'd you get them? And I asked them, asshole. And I was absolutely asking just as many guys as women, but that was at a time when no one knew who the fuck we were. That theater eventually got closed down. The building was demolished. We killed off a few venues. Do you remember where you, I don't, this may have been before your time, uh, Mo Pitkin's House of Satisfaction? No, I'm not familiar with it. It burned briefly but brightly in the East Village. Oh, I thought you said it burned down. <laughs> it's not there. Oh, it did. Did it? Maybe I should I should be careful with my phrasing there. <laughs> it burned. No. They had a nice shining moat. No, that's probably no, not that's good either. Even worse, yeah. <laughs> they closed. They, they closed. closed. They didn't right. burn down. They closed. They closed. Right. <laughs> yeah. They were part owned by Jimmy Fallon. 
Some SNL folks would hang out there. One time on my birthday, we were doing a show there, and Rachel Dratch was just hanging out with friends or whatever. It was not uncommon for that sort of thing to happen. So that was a higher profile than this little broke-down theater when we started doing shows there. And then... I started getting guys reaching out to me. Hey, man, I'd love to do your show sometime. Like, dude, I asked you like three times in the last... Well, actually, no, I wouldn't keep going back to somebody. But, you know, but like I asked you three years ago... And all you wanted to know was who, yeah, man, I didn't know you guys were at Mo Pickens. We weren't. Now we are. What? And so it, it is interesting how perspectives change, you know, talking about the people who are higher profile who do our show. And I think it's a combination of two things. One is from the start, people who have a good experience then invite people, suggest people, whatever. So that's one thing. It's like you're getting good people for that reason. But the other thing is that when you do a show for 30 years, people pass through your doors who aren't having that kind of career, Mm -hmm. but get that kind of career. And a lot of them have remained very true to us and have continued to do our shows through the years. And that's always really exciting. Like at one point, Hari Kondabolu, we were doing shows briefly at The Tank and someone at The Tank recommended him to us. You know, we gave him a couple of spots, and I liked him personally. It was either the first or second time he did the show. I was like, oh, some good stuff there, but I don't know, whatever. But he kept asking for spots, and... Mm You know, I didn't realize, I think, at the the beginning that he was doing what we always encourage people to do is really go out there and just try stuff. But the thing was, like, he's just brilliant. He's so wonderful and so funny. There's depth to his work. You know, of course, along the way, he became who he's become. I love that he kept coming back to us. And there's two things with, with him. One is that when he was on the staff of Totally Biased with W. Kamal Bell, during that period of time, we must have had, like, basically everybody who was on that writing staff came by with him at some point or whatever. So right. we were getting these amazing people. Kamau himself came through a couple of times. And, you know, just so many really good people on, on that staff. Kevin Avery and Nato Green. Nato, Nato Green is not interrupted. He was one of the first people I ever interviewed when I was writing with AmericasComedy.com. And I think I actually just kind of recreated our interview in text. And they said, no, write like a kind of formal kind of article. Then they'll listen to the podcast. I was like, oh. But, yeah, I remember he was doing that show. And he's a big very progressive guy, champions unions and different things, and really just, you know, a kind of a good fighter for the people. So and when he said Nato Green, it was like, yes, I remember Nato Green. Yeah, he's a San Francisco guy. So that was a way that we got a lot of high-profile people coming through just because of our longtime association with Holly. You know, when we did our 20th anniversary celebration at the United Palace, number of years ago now. Hari was actually on the bill, but he was getting ready to do his first spot on Letterman. And he was also getting ready to do a show at the Bell House to promote his first comedy CD. So because he needed to promote his other stuff, we were not allowed to announce him in advance. But it, you know, it was great to have somebody who was unannounced, whatever, bring him in, especially with that lineup. But That night, Hari said something to me because he had requested some spots when we were down at Otto's as well. You know, like he said something to me that I had never thought of about because by that point we had the house band at our Otto shows or whatever. He told us that we were his go-to place when he was prepping a talk show spot because he said we were the only place where he could recreate the thing of being played on and off 
Oh, with the right. Because you have and the And I band. never thought of that before. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, yeah. it's more of a live talk so show. So that was thing. kind of exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, shit. I have a slight, slight connection to him through Liz Mealy because Liz had her cartoon damaged, mm-hmm. if you yeah, recall. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, and she had like a Kickstarter campaign. And I had met her and interviewed her as well. And when she said she was doing it, I get very like, well, how do we make this happen? What, how do I help? What could I do? Like, let's get this accomplished. Because you yeah. know how hard it is to get these things off the ground. One of the perks of her campaign was if you donate X amount of dollars, you can have a character based on you. I was like, I really? Like, I'm like, shut up, take my money. And <laughs> and I got a character. I became the evil villain in her cartoon. Oh, that's awesome. I still have the picture of it because I had this line goatee because I wanted to look like pitchers in baseball. Like, hey, all the yeah, baseball yeah. players kind of had that. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. Didn't really work for me, but I did it for the long time. <laughs> so she had the character. It was this evil scientist that looked like me, and he had the little line beard. And I just said to her, like, hey, I'll do the voice. And she's like, well, we're going to have Harry to do it. I'm like, oh, well, that's probably a better choice because <laughs> I'm a nobody, you know. So he did the voice. <laughs> of that character for her cartoon not because of me forget me but her cartoon should have been picked up so why they didn't pick it up i don't know to this day i don't have to have anything to do with it i'm not saying it because i was a character in it it was a good idea for a cartoon you know a lot of cartoons they have you couldn't put that one on like come on I agree. A, a lot of high-profile places drop the ball on that. With her, it's just a matter of time, though. Well, Not that she hadn't already, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, you so know. It's, it's, but that's the thing. That's why I mentioned earlier Charles McBee, Leanne Lord, uh, Liz, and a lot of different comedians. You've seen how they've elevated over the years, but you've seen them grow. Charles, I remember just from open mics, and now he's you know one of the head writers for Charlemagne's show. And he actually yeah. just got nominated for a, a Writers Guild Award yeah. for another show that he's written for. So he's doing his thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I love about Charles. Charles, now that we have a clearer identity after all these years, you know, in the the format, and I do generally begin the show by telling the audience that we've encouraged the performers to play and try stuff out. Charles takes it to the next level. Charles comes out on stage with his notebook in hand and begins by saying, just want to let you know, I'm trying out a lot of stuff. Most of it's not going to work. Y'all are taking one for the team. Yeah. So the audiences later on tonight don't have to hear this. He, he does laughs. it in a way that gets its laughs. And then he goes about and does his stuff. And it, it, you know what? It's so much fun to then see him in a regular spot somewhere. Like, yes. I remember when he when that was a little bit of scribbling on the notepad. Actually, you know what? That ties into Liz Mealy, too, mm-hmm. for, in a way, because she started doing our show when she was like, I know she started doing stand-up when she was still in high school. And I believe she first did our show when she had just turned 18. Yeah. At the recommendation of Leanne Lloyd, by the way. And she's done our show regularly throughout. And... It was funny because her last hour is streaming on YouTube. It's hilarious, but that was almost all stuff that was developed during pandemic. When I watched it and told her afterwards, like, you know, this is the first time I was ever really able to see her do a full set as an audience member who, you know, is just there to watch the goods, right, you know? Right, 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 right. And it was funny because there were like a handful of lines and premises that I remembered from the last shows before lockdown. When pandemic first hit, I didn't immediately miss doing the shows. I missed two things. One surprised me, the other didn't. I missed 
getting to watch the work of all these people who do our shows, the wonderful folks who come through. Good night, bad night. I just enjoy watching the work of talented people. That's the joy of doing it. But the other thing was I didn't miss doing any other performing of my own, but I missed making music with the band. Because you sing on the shows. In spite of many requests. Um, <laughs> but that's the beauty of the show. You can try stuff out. And, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like what you were just saying about Charles is I, I really uh, appreciate that he does that because there is so much pressure, I think, sometimes. I can't speak for every comic, but mm. when you go to these shows, you want to hit a home run every time. And the thing about stand-up especially is that you practice it when you do it. The only other thing that you can do it at home, but it's not the same, is sex probably. So you, I practice a lot when I'm on my own. That's right. Thank every, you, Woody know. Allen. So the beauty of him going on stage and saying I'm trying stuff out, another comedian, a buddy of mine, Kevin Dombrowski, would say, he's like, go to these open mics. Who gives a fuck about who's there? Just go. We know sometimes that doing the open mics, it's all comics. You're just anxious to go up there yourself. You're not paying attention. You're a comic, so you know what they're doing. You're critical of it. It's just, it becomes a tough place to be. And at least I feel sometimes stupid up there because it's like, well, they know what I'm doing. Like, I need, like, an audience. You know, that's the thing about open mics, though, yeah. too, is that open mics are vital. They're a necessity, but not yeah. all open mics are created equal. If you're just starting out, then the main thing is just to hit mics. But you right. start to get a little bit into the game and... You kind of need to do your research. This is a yeah. place where I will get good things out of it no matter how badly it goes. And right. this is a place where I'm just wasting my time in front of a bunch of depressed comics who are waiting to go on and don't give a shit. You have to be able to go on stage and be okay with bombing. I remember Dana Carvey was talking about once he got comfortable with bombing and knew he can make fun of the bomb and have fun with it, then he never really bombed in a sense. I watch a lot of old Letterman clips. He was great with that. No matter yeah. what happened, he went with it and just made it part of the show and always maintained uh, his composure. So when Charles, for him to go up there and do that, he just makes the whole thing part of the show. You're up there. I remember when I first started, somebody said to me, that's your stage. You own it. You do what you got to do. Once you learn that and you're not so much worried about, will they like me? You know, and once you can get past the, okay, it didn't really work, but I had fun and I made it into something. Because that's the hardest part. It's just like, you're like, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be great. And when it doesn't work out, you feel so dumb. That last open mic I did, that happened to me. My friend was there, and, you know, I'm always like, oh, I'm so great, you know. And then he saw me bomb, and I'm like, sorry, man, I guess I'm not that good, you know. But you have to be able to go up there and just live through that and have fun that's with it. That's why you it. don't take your yeah. friends to open mic. That's it. Well, no, he's a comic, too. And <laughs> oh, you can your yeah. You take your friends. Brian Rabido, my buddy Brian. Really funny comic. I got to get him to come down. He wants to check out the show. But that's, I think, the real trick. Something I learned with stand-up is just go up there and have fun with it. People have told me that for years, and you're thinking, like, no, I know, I know, but I have to have jokes. And yeah, you do, but just go up there, have fun with it, trust yourself. You'll be fine. And you'll learn from it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even if you do because bad, that's it, how you learn. Because honestly, if it's torturous every time you go out there, because you're not going to start out good no matter how right. much natural ability you have. If you're dying every time you're hitting in the mic and if you're hitting the mic as often as you need to to get good, that, that's a rough way to go, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know? you, you really got to learn how to handle the audience. My favorite comics are the ones that just run that room, like a Jessica Kirsten, David Tell. They just know how to own that room 
I remember one of the funniest comics I've ever seen is this guy, Maceo. And I'd seen yeah. him in Jersey. He just had a whole different energy about him. He brought that room together. You know, we were all along for the ride. And, yeah, and that yeah. was a lot of fun. And his delivery is very casual, very conversational. It's like you don't even realize he's telling jokes. He's just up there. And we were yeah. locked in. I think that's the trick of being a public speaker. Do you own that stage? No matter what happens, you go with it. It's a ride you go along with. That's what you That's have to true. learn. That's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And it can be a good ride or a bumpy ride. It could be. Make good choices when selecting the driver. Right. <laughs> We're making the driver. So we are going to be coming back to Word Up Bookstore. And we'll see what happens with autos. But is there other things you are looking to do besides Word Up or even autos? Is there other ways? You, I know now you have this to promote No Name. What are some other things you want to do with No Name? I think right now the focus is just getting to a point where we're back regularly in, in our venues. And if it doesn't happen with autos, then it'll happen somewhere else. It, it's funny because it, it, the podcast has become something that I'm actually very proud of. By the way, parenthetically, you were talking about the, the place is where like if you're trying to work on crowd work zoom shows don't work something that i didn't think about until we got a few months into this a very high profile comic that i, I really respect she urged me to do a few minutes up front before bringing out the guests the way she put it to me said you gotta remember they're tuning in to hear you and i was politely and intentively listening but in my mind I was like no they're not tuning in to hear me that's not downing on myself right. but if they're tuning in because of me they're already my friend i don't give a shit I mean, I give a shit. But, you know, they're tuning in because they want to hear a conversation with whoever we've got. And I've taken what she said to heart, and I've, I've been trying to work with that. But it occurred to me, there is no open mic for doing podcasts talking on the mic. No. You know, even if we were pre-pandemic times, I'd say, well, hit the open mics. But it's not because just like doing crowd work right. on a Zoom thing, doesn't it, you know, talking alone on a mic it's not the same when you've got an audience listening live in front of you. You it's know different. what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a different skill set. I think I have some good moments and some less good moments. Anyway, so I'm having fun with this. I'd like to continue developing the podcast because it really is interesting to me to to part of the fascinating part of this to me had been getting to meet people that I already know. Oh, right. I know them, but I don't know them, know them, you know, right. and, and more their story. So it's fun for me in that regard. And I, hopefully it's fun for people who only see folks at the comedy clubs, the storytelling shows or whatever. But I feel like this side by side with getting our full slate of regular live shows back is a starting point. And once we've got there, you know what? Ultimately, I'd, I'd like to get the audiences back and consistently enough to perhaps look at doing special shows here and there in larger venues with the full band and things like the album release at the Bell House, oh, it's you, the Bell know, House. you know, and so we've got to get back to that point. And I'm also it's something I'm starting to play with. It. It's a personal thing, but it may wind up being an outlet for no name related stuff. Got a YouTube channel now and I've been okay. doing some short video clips under the heading of blind guy life. I saw you did something with the rotating door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've posted like three of those and have a couple of more on the drawing board. Mm -hmm. Of course, I can't see the fucking board. But I work with people who <laughs> yeah. can. That's what's important. Yeah. But it occurred to me that if anyone is watching these things, then maybe we can explore what else we can do with it. Maybe folks who are guests of ours would like to do stuff and use this as a home. You know, maybe that could be the start of a 
some sort of a no-name NYC brand yeah. YouTube channel or something. Let's see where it goes. I'm just having fun with it right now. You know, it, it's weird because I'm actually transitioning from being, you know, because the thing about my becoming a blind guy, I've had vision issues for a long time. People around me have, have known that for a long time. But I hit a point about a year in, into pandemic where all of a sudden it just kind of crashed. I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. I've been confounding my doctors. About a year ago, a doctor said to me, you're in really, really good health. And I said, yeah, except for the blindness. And he said, I got to tell you, we're all fascinated by your case. You don't want to be fascinating to your doctors. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, the loss of vision happened so fast. And it happened during pandemic. You know, I was still going about on my own. You know, I didn't have to deal with accessoride. I didn't need to right. deal with friends or whatever. At the time of lockdown, mm -hmm. and a year into lockdown, I had to stop working a day job. In, I think it was April of 2021, during pandemic, when things started to open up, I went to a movie on my own. I went here and there, right, whatever. Right. And about a month or so after that, I had to stop working because it wasn't safe for me to travel on subways. Yeah, well, it and still isn't. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> another MTA beauty right there. <laughs> yeah. you know, the it's actually, you know, it's actually not as, I mean, things are happening on the subway. Yes, I don't want to make light of that, but you can still go on the subway. Like, don't just listen to the news, you know. The truth is somewhere in between long time. Right, uh, that's what you I know, mean. Yeah, it, shit is crazy out there, but yeah. those of us who are lifelong New Yorkers know that this is not the worst it's been. No, you know? not even close. Now, you want to keep it from getting to that point, and well, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be cautious, you know, be aware or whatever, but it, I don't think it's at a stopping your life kind of point or whatever. Yeah, you, you can't know. be afraid to go out. Yeah, I mean, my family, we moved out of Brooklyn on my fifth birthday, and that's part of the reason. Well, one of the reasons was my family wanted a house, you know, my mom, my dad. We almost went to Staten Island. We ended up down the Jersey Shore. And oh, that was a better choice. I yeah, think. I mean, it's nice down there. You know, I, I wish I'm sorry to my sister who yeah. lives in Staten Island. <laughs> but this is uh, back in 1986. So, you know, New York wasn't the best place. My dad worked in the city every day. I remember being in eighth grade. My eighth grade class, 1995, we're going to Broadway to see a production of Hamlet. My dad didn't want me to go. And I'm like, why? He's like, I don't want you in the city at night. And this is 1995. This is just at the start of Giuliani and when things just started to turn around, I guess. I was the only one who couldn't go. All the other kids were oh, like, geez. I'm going to be with my class. He's like, I don't want you in the city at night. Oh. But fast forward... Like, right around the 90s, when the Yankees started winning the World Series, things changed. And I'm in the city with my dad and my brother, and it's at night, it's 10 o'clock in Times Square. I'm like, are we allowed to be here? He's like, yeah, it's fine now. <laughs> but you just see how things change. But, like, you can't really be afraid to go out. So, no, New York is not as bad as it once was. I joke about now that the crime kept my family out of Brooklyn, and now the rent and gentrifiers have kept me from coming back. Look, everybody can come here. I really don't care at the end of the day. But it's just insane how expensive it is here now yeah i was born here i lived here for a time my grandparents lived here their whole lives we would come visit them in borough park but it is just so damn expensive now you know but my roots are here you know my, i was sending pictures to my mom in the way and i look like a tourist she grew up <laughs> off of flatbush you know she loves seeing oh, pictures right, of brooklyn yeah, yeah. Brooklyn so, yeah. the city is not as bad as people say it is but yeah it's gonna have its problems it's a big yeah. city yeah you know, I said to somebody yesterday, a, a very good friend of mine, I'm just starting to get comfortable with my new role. 
the role of being the blind guy. It's weird because I'm kind of still getting my feet wet in that. It's not going to stop me from doing anything, but I have to Good. find new ways to do certain things. Like, for example, at my own shows, I'm now going to have to have somebody else giving people the light. You know, things like that. And it's okay. Adjustments are fine. But when you talk about what do I see for the future, there are some things I want to do and there's nothing that I don't feel like I can do. But some of the things are like, I don't know how I'm going to do that yet until I... Yeah, yeah we'll cross the bridge when you get to a kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. What I'm trying to do is I have long-range things that I want to do, but I also am trying to compartmentalize sure. so not to get overwhelming with it. So right now the focus is maintain the podcast. We've been doing it since July of last year. Two episodes drop on the first of every month, and we've maintained that. And that's real important to me. I'm real proud of about two-thirds of the shows that we put out there. <laughs> okay. And the other third is not anything on the guest or the producer is like, I'm still getting used to You're still doing learning this. how to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think ultimately they're still listenable because the guests are good. I think we've done a good job at letting them tell their story in their voice. So that's just me yeah. busting my own chops there. So maintain the podcast. Sure. Get back to all of our regular live shows if the environment continues to allow for it. Good. See what I can develop and what's fun to develop on the YouTube channel. And after that, we'll see what comes next. Yeah, I think the video is a great other step. I'm learning more of that now. It's just going the video route. Mostly what I do now is freelance video editor, video production oh, stuff. okay. It's something that seems to be so like a vital part of this now. But I think there's a lot people still don't know. And you doing those videos can show us something that we don't know. You know, and we're in an era of learning more about different people and just perspectives we don't know about. I do want to be very clear on this. Yeah. If I'm helping people learn stuff yeah. with these videos or teaching folks anything or providing them with new insight, then I've failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not supposed to be learning anything from you. No, no, no. It, it, we're 30 seconds in and out. And if, if you don't laugh, then, oh, fuck. Well, you know, let's just bring McBee out here and let him apologize for us, you know. Oh, so the Three Stooges weren't a way to develop friendships. You're not supposed to poke your friends in the eyes and slap them. I I thought that was a documentary. You know what? There's some you could learn from it. I, yeah. You know what? I think it's not something I'm really thinking about, but I do think there is something of awareness of what folks may be going through, or whatever. Yeah. I should <laughs> talk more about having anxiety, and, and I was recently diagnosed with a form of Tourette syndrome, oh, wow. which I always kind of like. You're not really seeing it now, but it's I have it in a form of with OCD mm. of a way of these tics that I do. When you have OCD, you develop these habits to combat the anxiety, and I've always said, you know, I feel like this is like Tourette's. I was reading about it and I always thought Tourette's was more uncontrollable like uncontrollable in the sense of your body just does it and you can't do anything about it mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. not that it's something you feel you have to do and it's just an overwhelming urge you have to do these ticks and when I'm around people I'm much better but by myself you know you would look at me and go oh he's got definitely has Tourette's oh, okay. so I've been learning about that I've been learning more about ADD I didn't realize how much that was impacting my life because I always make careless mistakes and I always start things and don't finish them, especially with stand-up. You know, I'm doing this thing one day, I'm doing videos the next day, I'm drawing comic strips. You know, I can never kind of stay on the same track with anything. You know, I haven't done much stand-up at all this past year. 
I've been doing more of the video. I always wonder, well, why am I where I am, where I am in my life? And I think it's because I didn't understand the relationship I've had with having ADD, OCD, anxiety, and this and that. Oh, so right. bringing that to the more of the forefront and learning how to make it funny is very cathartic for me. It's something I'm trying to learn how to do. So with you, you know, being open about having um, the vision uh, disability, I'm, try I'm blind, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to be very PC about this, uh, you know, being but, very, very, you, you know. You know what, something I've learned that I had no idea about, apparently it seems blind folks don't like to be called blind. I've been told you're supposed to say low vision. Apparently the, the intent is a, a distinction between you can't see anything, like it's all black or right, whatever. Right, Visually um, impaired. And I, I right. understand that. And and I mean, what I see nowadays is mostly light and shadow. It varies from day to day, but generally speaking, that's all I see. I, you call it whatever you want to. I'm still a blind guy. Look, I have no issue with you should be labeled however you want to be labeled of or course. identified however. Yeah. But that said, for my own yeah. case, I'm a blind guy. And, I, yeah. and that, that's okay. I'm, that's not didn't define all what I am or whatever. Yeah. But for me, if it wasn't me mm -hmm. and someone said, yeah, I have low vision, I'm like, oh, okay. And I just feel like, oh, they're... They just need stronger glasses or something. Right. Like, like if I heard that, I, I wear contacts. I have astigmatism. I have very poor vision. Like if I took my, my contacts out, everything would be out of focus and blurry, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, it's hard to get by without contacts or glasses. So, yeah, and you say low vision. Yeah, it does remind me like my vision is very poor. Exactly. You know? And I feel like, you know, as long as I'm comfortable with mm -hmm. it, I mean, if I'm meeting somebody, I don't think this is something we're going to be having an intense discussion about. Sure. So let's just be upfront. To, mm -hmm. I can't see you. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. Can't or see. I can kind of see a silhouette that I'm presuming is you because your voice is coming from this way. Right, right. And that's all that needs to be said. I, I'm not taking offense that someone called me a blind guy. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, hey, look, you don't have to look at all the ugly glass and steel buildings going up in New York. <laughs> oh, you don't man. have to look at the reality shows, Donald Trump. There's a, So there's some things we would <laughs> yeah, all benefit. I, there's still an odor. <laughs> there's still um, an odor there. <laughs> to me, I, I, I really respect how you just, this is what we're doing now. Let's just go with it and, and have fun with it, you know? Thanks. And I mean, what yeah. the fuck else are you going to do, right? Exactly. Just got to live. So, you know, well, let me ask you this. And, yeah. and now I'm turning, I'm turning the tables okay. here again yeah. on the person who's yeah. been brought in to turn the tables. Right. But um, so how are you dealing with your new discoveries? Is this empowering that you'd like, oh, I got a handle on what I'm dealing with or is it intimidating? Uh, how you no, it's, it just makes everything make a little bit more sense and it gives me a better approach to it in terms of learning how to manage it and overcome a lot of it, it makes you feel less stupid. I listened to the podcast with you and Liz, and she talked about having dyslexia. I remember the, I hate to bring up his name, the Cosby Show, but there was an episode where Theo found out that he was dyslexic, and when they found out, they all started jumping for joy, and Vanessa was like, why is that a good thing? It's like, no, now we know what's wrong. So to me, it's like, oh, that's, you know, like, well, that's why I get distracted if I'm driving or that's why I keep making mistakes or I get so stressed out with a lot of different tasks. And 
Like, I was listening to an interview with Billie Eilish, and she was talking about her Tourette's and how she always has to, like, look behind her and this. I'm like, I do that. And it was kind of comforting to know, okay, I'm not the only weirdo. You know, I'm not the only one. (laughs) You kind of beat yourself up. You say, oh, you're weird. And it's like, no, you're not. You have something that you have to manage and learn to deal with it. And it just kind of allows you to feel okay with who you are. You understand, okay, it's like, let's say you go to the doctor and they say, well, you have high cholesterol, but don't worry. You can take this medication. Here's your exercise routine. Like, oh, there's something I can do about this. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's not like you're just totally lost. then you can make a game plan, yeah. I hate having OCD for so long as a kid. And I thought, like, I'm the only one like this. And when they said, oh, you have OCD, I was like, oh, it's a thing? It's real? You know, and it's really good to hear other people who've dealt with it. Do you yeah. know a, a gentleman named Dean Marcello? I don't know him, no. I met him as a storyteller. Yeah. He, he was a guest that Michelle Carlo booked on one of our storytelling editions. Right. He also did some comedy, so I thought you might have known him from that. He, he did a, a very fascinating story and solo show about dealing with OCD. I don't know if it's out there on, for streaming or online. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if there was a filmed record of it. And mm-hmm. it, if it's out there, I, I'd recommend it. It was really great Excellent. work. It was insightful. It was funny. And it, it was now that was something that... that kind of let people know what that was like. There's a comedian, Mike Bramante, really funny guy, who mm-hmm. talks a lot about his anxieties and things like that. And I and I said to him one day after a mic, I love these jokes, but I'm so mad because you're doing all the jokes that I wish I was doing <laughs> about, but, you know? And he just, he says something like, my God, I do that too. And like, he, so he is really good at explaining his insecurities and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. check out Mike Bramante's stuff. It's good to hear it. Who want to plug? Yeah, hey, whoever we can help, right? When you hear this from other people, It just is like, oh, I go through that. So when you're doing the video, when you're going through the revolving door, even though it's funny, I'm sure people are are noticing that and go, oh, I understand what that's like. You know, (laughs) you know, we got to add humor to the conversation because it just makes life a little easier. You can almost watch moments in your life where you feel like you're on Curb Your Enthusiasm and go, as horrible of a moment, this is, this would be funny if this was a TV show. You know, know, it just helps you through it. It's been said, you know, comedy is tragedy that happens to someone else. Mel Brooks said something to that effect. Yeah. As I a 2,000-year-old man, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, so, if, well, you know, the, the, the whole thing, you know, yeah. you know, tragedy is if I get a hangnail. Right. And it, it hurts. No, a paper cut. I cut oh, my finger, right, cut, yeah. And it hurts and it bleeds. And it, 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 uh, comedy is if you fall into an open manhole and die. Right, yeah. If somebody else does it, that's comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it's happened to someone else, it's comedy. If it's you, it's strange. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, being involved in comedy in some form or another has helped me. I recall speaking with somebody who was intoxicated. They noticed I had a Yankee hat on, and they were talking about, oh, the Yankees stink, blah, 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 and I, I'm a fan of this team, you know, and all that. You team, know I was just kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, Sorry, but, but because I, from being able to talk to people on stage and interview, instead of me getting defensive, I just turned it into an interview and just talked them, and it talked them down from being a little bit belligerent. And having those skills it makes it easier to deal with some of these difficult uh, moments. Yeah. So that's the beauty of comedy, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we're there. We made it. We're coming into a landing. Yeah. Anything else before we wrap up? Well, I'll say thank you for having me. Thank you for remembering me. Yeah. You've always done such great yeah. work with us, man. I appreciate yeah. you doing this. You know, it's, it's, I hope in, in the middle of all this stuff, we actually told a little of the story of, of No Name. The one thing I will say, we are returning to regular shows at Word Up Bookshop February 7th, 7 p.m. That will be a super story party edition co-hosted with my partner in story crimes, Michelle Carlo. Yeah. 
And Charles McBee and Tommy Pryor have already confirmed to be on the lineup that evening. We've got some exciting stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And just follow me on social media. I'm Eric Vetter on Facebook. I am on Instagram, no name NYC, and the YouTube channel. You know what? This is weird. I started the no name channel while a blind guy. I'm having other people doing it, and it occurred to me. I don't know what you need to look up. I believe the the channel is No Name NYC. Okay. I've had a YouTube account for forever, but I right. never did a channel. Yeah. And this is the first leg of social media mm-hmm. that I'm not actually seeing. So, like, when I'm asking people <laughs> right. to do stuff with me, I can't talk them through this one. I don't know right. what the process okay. is. So I'm it's there totally, somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally yeah yeah. So <laughs> just go on and look for it, people. You know, don't but, be lazy. But you can message me via Facebook Messenger and my phone, if it's a good day, will tell me what you said. Sure. And I, I'll i find out the answers and I can reply. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to No Name coming back. Thank you again for having me. And uh, I don't know. Go go Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> go, go Yankees. Go and Giants. Mets. The Giants I'm, are playing I'm today. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Giants are playing today. Go Giants. Yeah. Go Giants. Oh, all right. <laughs> we're in business. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hi, and that was my conversation with me. Okay, no, that was Mike Scroy's conversation with me. I want to thank Mike Scroy for being a part of this and uh, just letting me do this. So we want to thank you all for listening. I do have a bit of exciting news. We will actually not only be returning to Word Up on February 7th, but this just in. We will be having an in-person 29th anniversary celebration this year. We will be doing a show on Saturday, February 25th, which is actually one day before our actual 29th anniversary. That will be at Recirculation. That is the sister bookstore of Word Up Bookshop. That is on 160th Street and Riverside Drive. And that will also be free. That will be at 5 p.m. Saturday, February 25th at 5 p.m. You want more details? I don't have more details right now other than we're going to be there and it will be free and it will be fun and it's an awesome new space. If you follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and we've got a YouTube channel now, you can find out. Also, if you check the Word Up Community Bookshop website, and calendar we will be listed there and there'll be more details as they come about but we're very excited about that so we'll be back with michelle carlo with a super story party edition uh on february 7th we're at recirculation on saturday february 25th at 5 p.m so hope you can come out and party with us a bit man it's gonna be fun be good to be doing real shows in front of real people in real places again so that's all i got for now i want to thank everyone who helped make this episode possible certainly the wizard of oohs and ahs our producer the amazing gary hardcastle the music was composed and performed by the one the only king of the hill Courtney hill and uh, before we disappear i want to let you know that we will be leaving you with closing out with a little music from a longtime friend of no names nicole bizzuto has done music with us on a number of occasions she's performed with us at word up she's performed with us at auto shrunken head she had actually been a featured composer at our uh, no name uptown cabaret series and she now has a band. It's Nikki and the Skyrockets, N I K K I 
and the Skyrockets. You can find them on SoundCloud and CD Baby and all major music streaming services. Very exciting to, to hear her with a band. I've mostly heard her solo acoustic, and uh, the band is great. And the song we're leaving you with is called Late Last Night. Enjoy. Thank you all for hanging out with us. And until next time, uh, we've got some really exciting guests coming up. It's not going to be me again. You're done with me. Upcoming such people as Leanne Lord and Leslie Goshko and far too many to mention. So we hope you'll hang out, let people know about what's going on here, share it. And until next time, my name is Eric Vetter. I love you all. Did it?